This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Late Late Show. My name is Catherine Taylor. My special guest, my special guest today is Mark Pritchard. Mark is an executive head teacher and leadership coach, and also an experienced school improvement specialist. And we'll be speaking to him very soon. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. and welcome to the Late Late Show everyone. I'm Catherine Taylor speaking to you live from Buckinghamshire in the UK. On today's show I'll be talking to Mark Pritchard. Mark is an executive head teacher and leadership coach and he is also an experienced school improvement specialist with expertise in whole school strategic planning, curriculum um, design and delivery and leadership development at all levels. He's also an MPQ facilitator and fellow of the Chartered College of Teaching. I'll be talking to Mark about a number of things, including his experience in leading in complexity. Remember, if you're listening in live and you'd like to join us, either to post a question in the chat for Mark to answer, or if you want to call in and speak to us, then please download the Podbean app. Visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live and on the homepage. This should take you directly to the show. There you'll be able to post comments and ask questions during our conversation. Once I've spoken to Mark, I'll open up to any of you who want to call in. You can call in by pressing the icon at the uh, top of the phones app. Click and you'll be able to click this and I'll be able to connect you. I'll be talking to Mark right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio news BBC News reports that the school run by Ruth Perry who took her own life after a critical Ofsted has been rated good after a new inspection Ms Perry died in January after receiving news her school was being downgraded from outstanding to inadequate Ms Perry's death prompted an outpouring of anger about the inspection system although Ofsted defended its grading process and said one-word gradings would not be scrapped. The latest report comments on the work done by the school to address previous weaknesses. The new report raises again the question of high-stakes inspections. MPs are to hold an inquiry in the autumn and will look at how the system is working. Ms Perry's sister, Professor Julia Waters, said in a statement, the reversal of the previous judgment in a matter of months illustrates why schools should be given the time to correct weaknesses before the final report is published, and that the latest judgment proves what all of those who knew Ruth and the school have known all along. Last month, Ofsted announced some changes which allow schools that were given an inadequate rating over safeguarding to be re-inspected within three months, giving them a chance to be regraded if they have addressed concerns. 
Teachers pay has been in the news again following two further days of strike action from teachers in England. The Daily Mirror reports that Education Secretary Gillian Keegan is continuing to be under pressure to publish pay proposals or risk strikes dragging on even longer. All the major teaching unions in England are conducting fresh ballots after rejecting a £1,000 one-off payment for 2023 and an average 4.5% pay rise for next year. The government referred the decision on pay to the pay review body, who has reportedly recommended a 6.5% pay rise. But the DfE continues to refuse to publish the advice. The Guardian reports on Labour's plans for education should they win the next general election. The article itself focused on plans for early years, which could see more graduate teachers working in nurseries and more nursery places in primary school settings. Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Philipson said she wanted to put early years on an equal footing with schools to give children the best start in life. The TES gave further comment on Labour's plans as the party set out how it plans to boost teacher retention and improve standards. The plan includes giving early career teachers a one-off payment of £2,400 for staying in the profession and sending regional improvement teams to help schools. New teachers will be required to have QTS and they will also improve recruitment by cutting costs. The party, currently in opposition, has not made any comment on teacher pay. Finally, the BBC reports on what it describes as a crisis in waiting for children in care. In March, the government extended a ban on unregulated homes to children in care aged 16 and 17. This followed a BBC investigation which found some had been forced to live in caravans and budges and some had experienced abuse. The crackdown begins in October when Ofsted will begin inspections and all unregulated care settings will become illegal. However, some local authorities fear they will have to continue the use of unregulated accommodation usually in houses and flats in residential areas, because they will have no alternative. Regulated placements are suffering chronic staff shortages and a squeeze on places at the same time as a rise on numbers of children coming into care is causing continued issues. A DfE spokesperson said it was the responsibility of local authorities to provide safe placements, but that it was investing £142 million over the next three years to ensure the transition to Ofsted registration is successful. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we report a question everyone will see at the start of next year. It goes something like this. Hi, Edu Twitter. Can you reply with where you are so I can show my class how far a post on the internet can reach? With a bit of free tech, you can make this much more visual. I'm going to use Google Maps because it's free and most likely you'll have used Google Maps at some point in the past. So when you have all your responses, sign into Google, go to Maps and click on the menu next to the search box. That's the three lines that look like a burger. From the menu, select My Places. You'll now have four options. Lists, Labeled, Visited and Maps. Click on Maps and at the bottom select Create Map. Now you can give the map a title so you can find it next year comparison and add all the places from your Twitter replies. Simply type the name of the place. When it appears with a blue point marker, you can click the plus sign to add it to the map and then select the color to help it stand out. When you're finished, all places will be saved and you can access the map by following the first few steps. Menu, My Places, Maps. There are loads of other great tools to use also. Measure the distance from your school to those places, hit preview and go into the view only mode. Here you can select a place and you treat it to a short bio and an image of the area. So next time you're looking to bring a lesson to life, why not try using maps to help pupils see where places are in the world? Do you have any top tips for mapping? Why not get in touch and tell us what you want to know about tech? I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone. And I'm just uh, joined in the studio now, I hope, by Mark. I'm just going to unmute you, Mark. Good evening. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you. Thank you for, for dialing in. I know it's a, a bit of a, an interesting experience when you're doing it for the first time. So thank you so much for, for bearing with me and persevering with it. <laughs> um, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, can I say um, that I'm completely out of my comfort zone talking on <laughs> radio, but also this is genuinely my bedtime. So I'm staying up late specifically for you. I'm a really oh, early I'm an early riser. I get up at 5am every morning. So oh, um, wow. normally I'm tucked up in bed at 9pm. So well, um, I'll try and stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I have to pressure to say something interesting now. Um, no, thank you so much. And uh, no, we really do appreciate you taking the time to speak to us tonight. Um, Mark, as I've already said, you're an executive head. You're a, a sort of leadership coach. You've specialised in in uh, sort of in school improvement, and you know a lot of strings to your bow, which is absolutely fantastic. I wonder if you could start you. for listeners by just telling us what's a typical day like or even a typical week in in your life at, the, at your current role wow well i suppose like any school leader i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a substantive head teacher of course so i lead a school um and i also work in uh, an executive role so i work across um a small multi-academy trust so i work across um other schools too different phases primary middle and secondary um so i mean the, i don't know that there's a typical week if i'm really honest with you i sort of had a reasonably typical day today i had um um i met with my deputy head who um we, we were doing some um planning for next year as well as sorting out some just operational stuff for the school um i did that this morning i also met I had a, a, a local authority heads meeting, so um, sort of, I don't know how many it was, 15 or so heads um, visited, we visited another school and we were all together, we had a, a number of things on our, on our agenda, but one of the things we had a briefing from the police talking about serious and violent crime in the area and how schools can support wow. that. Um, I met with my chair of governors, I met with my CEO today, um, that was like sort of a typical day, but actually across my week I do a huge amount of leadership development work, so as you were saying, my, um, my role involves quite a lot of Sort of leadership, either coaching, mentoring, or delivering programs. So, um, okay. we go. I visited another trust to share my thinking around how we develop leaders in a sort of complex world. Um, just yesterday, I spent a day um, with. I had a really great day um, with a group of um, middle leaders across a, a neighbouring local authority. And I was delivering the third day, the third and final day of a leadership program that I've delivered for, designed and delivered for them to help them get ready to effectively lead subject networks next year across the local authority. So they're going to be system leaders leading their subjects. Um, and so I did a, an adaptive leadership program for them um, to get them ready for it. And so that, that yesterday was the third and final day of that. And then also I had a, a heads collaborative meeting for head teachers across my trust, where we were talking about all sorts of things from um, strategies for supporting teachers and developing teachers, as well as strategic planning for next year. So like a range of things happen in my life <laughs> in yeah. any given day. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds, sounds really exciting. And uh, I, I was going to bring this up later, but uh, I, I know that you're also engaged in academic research as well. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about your your research interests. Yeah, certainly. So um, it, it won't be a surprise, um, but my, so I'm doing a, a doctorate in education, um, but it won't be a surprise that my sort of chosen field for research, reading and um, and all around analysis is, is leadership development. It, it's literally around thinking about how we develop leaders in schools so that we have um, and I have a really expansive view about what leadership means. Um, mm. I, I'm not talking about just people who are going to be, you know, I don't know, on the senior leadership team or head teachers. Um, but I, I think that almost everybody in their role um, can lead and should be leading. Um, and I, I, my very simple, I suppose, possibly naive view of leadership, but I think it works, is simply that if you can... If you can imagine a better future for whatever it is that you're whatever you're, you're doing, whether you're the school receptionist or whether you're the head of maths or whether you're, you know, the head teacher of the organization, you know, if you can imagine a better future and if you can then inspire and encourage other people towards that future, I think you're mm -hmm. leading. I think that's what you're doing. You're in, you're, that you're in the process of leading at that point. And so... Yeah. I want everybody to see themselves um, as leaders. And my research has all been around how do we develop people so that they can continue to learn and develop themselves 
in a leadership role in that con- in that with that concept of leadership with the complexity and with the context of complexity in which I think 21st century schools clearly are, you know are li- we're, we're living mm. in all the any ask any head teacher and you know I've described a, a day or a week but there'll be there's a million things I've left out and you know a million sort of you know interactions with people difficult problems to solve decisions to be made um and you know all you know all of that all of that complexity is is what um I think not only adds challenge but also joy to the role yeah no it's it's so interesting and 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 yeah you know because we've spoken before um off air I'm also doing a doctorate in education and for me I I very much felt that when I first started to to get into the reading and uh, that first year when you're just finding out about you know the different paradigms of professionalism and all of that kind of stuff you know what what would you say was the biggest sort of aha moment or revelation that you kind of have experienced on your on your research journey? Yeah, really good. Actually, that's a really good question. I read your blog recently, and listeners, if you <laughs> you're listening, go and read Catherine's blog. Um, I read it, and I, you know, it was really clear what your some of your aha moments were, and that you know, sort of some of that um, real, you know, um, challenge to your thinking that then changed you. And I think that's the best thing about learning. It's transformative. It changes you, and we want that for our students every day. But I think. As um, as professionals, we need to also be engaging and learning and ha- having that transformational experience. And that, I definitely had that um, through um, doing doctoral level study. Um, I think the biggest, so I think the biggest aha moment or the biggest sort of transformation is around. And I sort of always knew it. This is the thing I think about <laughs> about research mm. and about learning is that. Some, there was something in my in, in the experience and in the practice that I knew, but then when you read it in the in the literature and you read it in the uh, you know in what people have studied and and researched and empirically found, um, the thing for me was all around um, leadership sense making. And it, the this this is a it's a theoretical sort of framework. It's a theoretical model, but I it's slightly different from reflection but it is it, it's a sort of, i suppose a form of reflection um but i think um supporting leaders to make sense of their experiences their mm-hmm. their, their their context their com- the, the complexity they're they're living is the thing that i think is the most transformative in terms of their development the thing that i've tried to do in my own practice it's something that i've facilitated for others and it's also um something i'm trying to get better at and something that i'm learning about so um i think that's been the biggest thing and i I can't recommend it enough you know i I think um there's so much that goes on in schools that we need to take sometimes a step back and make sense of what we're doing and quite you know the irony is not that lost on me the the research is actually been that for me so by mm. stepping out of my school and out of my sort of you know leadership role or whatever and then you know trundling off to a university or going off to read some journals or you know talking to people like you about your research and other things what i'm really doing there is stepping back and being there's a great there's a great metaphor in um a, a book called adaptive leadership which i really mm-hmm. like and he it's about uh, by uh, the author Hypitz, and he talks about being in the on the dance floor and we're all sort of, you know, in our work and in our lives, sort of on the dance floor, and we're engaged in this dance. And we, what we really need to do occasionally is step off the dance floor and sort of go up onto the balcony, just the dance from above. And yeah. I, I think sense making is that it's about stepping back and from that sort of elevated sense, you know, the, the, the elevated sense making that you can do from the balcony, you can see how, you know, sort of how the dance. Is working, and you can spot the patterns, and you can see how people are interacting. And you know, um, if you're looking carefully, who fancies who? Um, you know, <laughs> or, or you know, or, well, possibly not in schools, but you know what I mean. All that stuff, and being able to um, to make sense of what's going on before yeah. you step step back into it. So, not only have I sort of experienced that through my own learning, but I that's partly what I'm researching and helping to develop and mm. uh, put it put it put into practice in my in my work. No, that's so interesting. Thank you, and I love that metaphor. Um, it's just really like um, vivid, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd just like to chat to you uh, a bit more deeply, if if we can, about journey into leadership, and um, you know what what uh, accelerated you from 
your sort of starting point to your to the point where you've kind of gone into the SLT team and gone um, sort of into headship. What would you say were the critical moments in your career? Mm, that's a really good question. I think um, so. I, first of all, I didn't know that I wanted to be a teacher. I know some people always, you know, sort of some people are very clear. I've actually got a niece who's six and she absolutely wants to be a teacher. <laughs> She's clear as day about it. She, she All she does is talk about it whenever she wants to play. She wants she, she plays teachers. When I, you know, I take her school stuff. I probably shouldn't, but, you know, like pens and ex, you know, blank exercise books and things. And it's like the best gift you can give her. She knows <laughs> she wants to be a teacher. That wasn't me. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I went and did a French degree. Um, I loved um, languages. I loved French in particular. Um, I went to university. I was really lucky to go to university in Paris. Um, and be, effectively at 18 was, you know, sort of quaffing wine in cafes and reading flair and thinking, oh my God, <laughs> this is, I've made it. This is all I wanted to do. Now what do I do? You know, I had no, no idea what I was going to do with this degree and what, you know, this, 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 this newfound love of, um, language, literature and, um, and, and all, and all things, um, French. And, um, when I came back to the UK, it was my connection with my family connection that, um, really got me into teaching, um. I'm from the northeast of England. You might be able to tell from the the slight accent. Um, I, I went back home to to Newcastle, and um, my mum, who <laughs> um, she she worked in a school, she was a, a sort of pastoral manager. And I asked her, "Oh, do you mind asking your head teacher if I can um, if I can come and just do some sort of work experience and job shadowing in the school to see if I like teaching?" So I spent a week in the modern foreign languages department really enjoyed it i was helping out you know sort of just be almost like a classroom assistant i suppose um and i was 21 and at the end of the week i went to see the head teacher and said thanks for having me um it's really it's been a really great experience i think i might do a pgce and she said would you like a job yes <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and, and and i said oh maybe yeah maybe she said come back on monday it's an inset day and you'll be a member of staff <laughs> and and it was the re the reason i got a job in that school obviously you know in, the, in especially in those days it it was one of the most difficult schools in england at the time um they obviously struggled to get graduates and teachers um and um i learned really the hard way you know like i you know i've made all the mistakes that year that any new teacher can do i was basically doing teach first without any of the teach first support i just went in with a without without the qualification and was, was let loose on a classroom <laughs> um and and i sort of made i remember sitting just trying to make sense of it for myself like how would i teach this to a group of sort of you know 13 year olds how would i teach the perfect tense in french and so i'm just trying to work it out for myself as though like that was a perfectly normal thing to do when you know, yeah. there are quite established ways of teaching um but anyway that's that was sort of my um my my, my first sort of um entry into teaching and then from there i suppose leadership wise i sort of always just sort of outgrew the jobs i was doing so i did eventually get qualified i worked abroad for a year in japan i had some unfinished business with the broad um and i still possibly do and then um I've, I was thinking actually, like you know, so I've, I've worked in so many different schools. I've worked in, you know, since that point, I've worked in that disadvantaged comprehensive in the northeast, like I said, um, and it was in special measures at the time. Although I, I don't suppose I knew that language at that point at twenty one. Um, but I've also worked in a Catholic high school. I've worked in a selective secondary. I've worked in an inner city London comprehensive. I've worked in a suburban middle school, a primary school in category of concern. I've worked uh, all all different places. And actually, now as a leader, I've led in um both primary middle and secondary um and done that so as as a head teacher um i've been sort of the named head teacher in, in all three of those phases quite by accident none of them were planned but like you know i didn't intend to ever be a head teacher either i sort of just outgrew the job i was doing each time mm. and i and i said yes to opportunities i think you know rather than saying and i and i do mean this i you know, I see this with staff now and often, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, what am I going to get for this, you know, for this to do to do this job, to do this role? And I always just said, well, oh, OK, I'll do it. I still remember the, I, I was on the senior team of um, it's actually on the I was on the senior team of the school I currently work at. I'm currently the head teacher of um, and the head teacher at the time. 
I was sat around the table. It's actually really weird to think that was my, that's now my table, but yeah. <laughs> um, the table in my office. But I was, a, I was an assistant head in, uh, at that table. And I remember the head teacher said, is there anybody around the table who'd like to go and work in a primary school to go and help lead it? Because it's in a bit of difficulty. It's down the road. Um, does anyone want to, you know, give a hand? And I still remember lots of the SLT sort of looking down and going, like, oh, I don't think so. Um, no, I contact. And, <laughs> and I was like, maybe I'll do it. Like, you know, sort of, like, completely naively, sort of, I'll give it a go if I can help. So, you know, and off I went. And that I had a crazy year of helping lead a primary school. And, um, you know, it was, it was because of that experience that I then ended up being given um sort of like uh, 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 it was actually this one was a temporary and inter an interim headship of a primary school because i was at the point in, in the school the only person with any primary experience um, mm. and it was because of saying yes to, to that experience that i'd had some experience so i do think saying yes to things and actually this 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 really relates to the to the research i'm doing actually and also to the one of the design principles around the leadership development work that i do with people um there's there's something that um the center for creative leadership called heat experiences and it's all around taking on a an experience a challenge that effectively you have to grow to survive you know like mm -hmm. in order to really really like to survive this experience this challenge you have to grow in your capacity and me putting my hand up and going to work in a primary school in you know effectively you know special measures and um not really I was secondary trained, not really having, you know, huge amounts of leadership experience, um, you know, learning the learning things the hard way and, you know, sort of, you know, getting things right, getting things wrong and working, you know, collaboratively with others. It was a real heat experience. I learned so much. It was it was that moment where I thought to myself, well, maybe I should be a head teacher, but mm -hmm. I feel like I need some development. <laughs> to be able to do this a bit like going back all that all those years as an unqualified teacher and thinking maybe i need to actually get some training on how to on how to actually plan a french lesson like this was the same point I, at that point i thought maybe i need some development and it was i, I did actually go and do uh, the future leaders program after that i signed up and i left the school i left the um and i said i'm gonna go and like really learn how to do this properly and and i did and um it was you know years later that I ended up going back and then leading the school that I'd been um, <laughs> that I'd been at the, yeah. you know the member of the senior team of. So it's, it's funny how things work out. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because part of what I'm thinking about in my research is the role of sort of managers and leaders to bring people bring out the best in people. You know, yeah. and I I think that. One of the things that I, I have a about with many teachers, and I don't know, I'd be interested to know your view on this, is I think there's people that can become a victim of their own competence in a sense where they don't get developed because they're kind of ticking along and yeah. they're reliable. And, you know, if the line manager is busy, then perhaps, you know, well, we'll only have half an hour meeting instead of an hour. And if you've got any problems, send me an email. And, you know, I understand that the, you know, schools can be dynamic places. But I mean, what, what would you sort of say if you were going to come in as an executive head and see that kind of thing going on? What was what was your kind of um, what, what are you going to do then perhaps in that situation where people are competent but not being brought along? Is that something you've observed? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like bringing the best out in people is absolutely crucial. And both either organisationally, as you say, we can start to almost think of certain people as, you know, yeah, they're a safe pair of hands, etc. We might lean on them for certain jobs and certain responsibilities. And you're right, we might miss opportunities to develop or grow them. And equally, um, individuals themselves can get into that sort of space as well. So they can... Sometimes, you know, if, if they've been doing the job for a while, you start to almost sometimes get a mindset of, you know, sort of, I know what I'm doing, you know, I don't really need training or development, or I don't, I don't need to, I, I, I know some people in, you know, some insets say, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really want, want this, I don't need any training, thanks. Like, I'm happy with my job, I know how to do it, and, I, you know, I'm, leave me alone, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think, obviously, just like you, both, 
of those, whether it's done organisationally or individually. I think they they're both things that I I I, I don't understand. I personally don't understand because so far in my life, and I hope this will continue, you know, all you know, all the way to the end. I feel like if you're not growing, then you're you're sort of you know you're well you're atrophying there's something you know this you know i, I need i think i've got this real drive for learning and real drive for mm. for development and and i i actually really cognitively don't understand when people don't have this like, i i think it's i always find like it's a missing piece from like oh really mm. you don't have that that mindset um but i think the way that you help people to do it is to first of all tap into what they really care about i mean this is the thing that um that I think matters so much in terms of um, development is some people have some, so many people have got so many strengths and mo most of the time they they don't even acknowledge those strengths. One of the things about um, our brains, as you know, is that they're wired to see the negative, to to be fearful of the things that you know um, that 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 might happen. So we we spend a lot of time being worrying or even anxious around um, things that could perhaps go wrong or, or whatever, or just figure out, or just worry about the negative things, you know, so we say, oh, I haven't got through my to-do list, or I haven't done, you know, there's so much still to do. And actually, without doing that sense-making piece that I said before, stepping mm. back and actually saying, what have I achieved? And, and actually spend some time thinking around, well, you know, where are my strengths? And where are, you know, what, what am I good at? What have I managed to accomplish? If you if you're able to do that I, I think you need to take i think you need an actual process to do it because we will auto automatically not do it um our, our brains work as path of least resistance and go to the negative we actually need a process to make sure that we're doing the positive stuff and then how do we develop them i think we you give them stretch experiences you give them opportunities to apply their their skills their knowledge um their talent their um you know all of the thing all, all of those experiences that they've got um and strengths potentially either in a new context in a new way or the, the one of the best ways i think of you know my school's a teacher it was, it was a teaching school it, it's um we do we lead um, initial teacher training um we lead mpqs i facilitate mpqs you know i think getting people to teach others about what they do is a really great way to get them to to develop because you have to as an expert you have to really think carefully about breaking mm -hmm. down like what how do i do this you know if you were teaching somebody to learn to drive and you have to sort of deconstruct how you do it when you've done it so automatically for such a long time that i think that's a really good way of developing people but i also think what i said earlier i mean almost every meeting that i have with anyone whether it's you know one-to-one -one line management whether it's um you know, appraisal meetings or getting people to sort of plan strategically. I, I always do that, go back to that thing about like, what's the imagined better future that we're trying to create in whatever job we're talking about. So yeah. if I'm meeting with the head of math, you know, where are we headed? What do you want? What do you, what, what do you, what's this future that you can imagine? And really getting people to think through that um, and to really describe it. Um, I love Brené Brown as a leader, and a lot of people will know her. Um, and if you haven't read her book, read Dare to Lead. It's a very good book um, on leadership and, and simple to read, but really, really powerful. But she talks about painting done. So she says, you know, paint done for me. What does done look like? And paint it, like paint it in vivid colour. What will it look like? What will it sound like? What would it feel like if we achieve the thing that you want to achieve? And getting people to imagine that better future. And once you can imagine it, almost you you've got the the almost the, the, the you've got the goal, you've got the objective. I I, I talk lots about like um, with a mountain metaphor, um, mainly because I work for an organisation called Pioneer. Um, oh, yeah. We talk about like what's the top of that mountain? You know, what is it that you're? Where, where, what are you trying to achieve? Like what what are you climbing for? Where are you going to? And thinking about you know sort of that view at the top, what's it going to look like? And, mm. and and helping people really to see that. And, that and i do think a lot of people sometimes need support in doing that it doesn't always come naturally to people often often people who've done the job for a while those people that you were describing you know they want to operationalize their work they want to get on with it and do the things that they they've done and that's safe um but in order to grow you need to imagine something even better and um uh, just to quote somebody who um, is a dear friend and somebody who um, I was at, at their retirement do actually yesterday evening. Um, she's a head teacher. She's been a head teacher for decades and um, is retiring um, this year um, from headship. And she, her mantra is 
better never stops. And her, what was really interesting was her chair of governors was talking to a whole crowd of people who were there to celebrate her. And she just said, better. And everyone just went, never stops. And we know, we know that about her leadership, yeah. her, ma- her mantra. And getting people to see that better never stops and getting people to see that there's always a, a you know, you, we can always imagine a better future. In fact, we need to, because the other thing about leadership is that we as leaders are responsible for creating hope and optimism. You know, the world can be really, it can be bleak, it can be complicated, it can be um, complex, and it can be really hard. You know, there are hard challenges in in what we're doing. There are difficult funding decisions. Mm. We we know there's a cost of living crisis. We know there's staffing issues um, and the teacher recruitment crisis. You know, there's so many things that we're dealing with from children's mental health to um, staff mental health with, you know, all these things. Leaders are responsible also for creating that better future and being able to help people see that there's a better future on that horizon and and getting them to be able to see it. And actually, that's the that's the job, getting people inspired enough to see the better future that they can perhaps bring about. And and that's it is a skill and it requires a bit of coaching, suppose, you know, so coaching people Mm. to think through that Um, but also challenge challenging them to you know, not just settle for the status quo, not just settle for this is the way we've always done things. This is what we do is fine. You know, don't don't hassle me. But but actually saying, well, what would it look like if it was even better than today? You know, if today's a six or a seven, well, what would an eight or a nine look like? God, what would ten look like? You know, yeah. what, what would it what would it look like? And then once you can see it almost there's something in your brain like once it flips once you can see it mm. you almost can't stop yourself from working towards it you know like it's like okay i know where i'm going now yeah but- it's it's so interesting i mean i i it's because i i think some of these things that can be quite it can be quite scary as well can't it and i'll mm. just give you a little um illustration of what i mean i was um speaking at a conference at the weekend and, and I was third and so I was in the talk before mine and I was feeling so nervous and I'm like yeah. I, can't, I can't, can't get out you know I haven't had a drink of water <laughs> I haven't had my breakfast and then I, I remembered something I heard about kind of reimagining your adrenaline and so I, I just sort of said to myself right come on this feeling, this isn't a feeling of fear this is a feeling of energy that I'm now and I was like really having a bit of a word with myself um yeah. you know how how do you encourage people to kind of turn the fear into energy to drive to drive change forward oh uh, the first thing that came to my mind as soon as you talked about that and by the way i've been there i understand it completely i was feeling it before coming on on tonight but i was also <laughs> feeling it you know um I, you know i talk at conferences i talk at different things and i know exactly that feeling of like oh my god what if, why are people here to listen to me and you know <laughs> and what if i dry up or you know um yeah. uh, although you can probably tell as a bit of an extrovert i probably <laughs> talk all evening but the first thing that came to mind as soon as you said that about how do you know how do you help people um to sort of embrace the fear embrace the challenge of 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 say heat experiences i think the first thing is really to say you're not doing this alone um it's about collaboration it's about doing it as a team um i want everybody to have that sort of psychological safety that we work as a group of people nobody is doing is in our in my metaphor of climbing the mountain you're not climbing on your own we're climbing as a group we're all there for you you know we've got your back um we we know that you're going to stumble <laughs> you know it's not going to be straight it's not going to be plain sailing it's not you know the 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 the, the climb is going to get difficult you're going to fail at certain points you're going to move backwards as well as forwards but but where you know you're not going to be doing it on your own and i think sometimes teaching and leadership, of course, can be can be quite lonely. Teachers are in classrooms as adults, often on their own. I mean, you know, yeah. um, and leaders in particular. We, I was just talking to the the group of head teachers today about that. You know, one of them was ref- reflecting on the year and saying, you know, sometimes, you know, this is this net we have of of head teachers that we when we get together every month and you know have things that we need to discuss and decide. But also, there's there's a collegiality there's a network that really matters to that to to us because we have you know you need to feel like you're you're in it together and you're you're not just doing it on your own and so i think the more that we can bring people together the more that we can um sort of almost you know cohere groups or teams around a particular common cause and get people to work collaboratively 
um, that's when, I, I mean, I, my, the most joyful work that I do is not on my own. The most joyful work I do is when I'm, you know, like today I was strategically planning with my CEO and I was loving it. We were working together. I had ideas, she had ideas. Some of them were good, some of them were awful, you know, but we were able to sort of bounce them, you know, off yeah, each other. Yeah. And, and I do my best king when I'm with other people and I feel safest when I'm with other people. And so I want to create those conditions for the leaders in my school and, 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 and schools, you know, trying to challenge people to take on, you know, something that might be out of their comfort zone, that might be a bit of a stretch, but at the same time saying, do you know what, if you fail, it's all right. And, and mm. also, and, and so, so, you know, so, you know, making sure that failure is absolutely, you know, possible. If you're, if you're taking on a challenge, you're not going to get everything right. And being really upfront and telling people that, um, yeah, but, also, yeah. but also saying to them, yeah, we'll, and we'll do it together. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna support you to be I'm gonna be here every step of the way. Um, but you're gonna do it and I'm gonna help you to do it. Um so having you know somebody's back in terms of being a coach or being a mentor or just, just being a cheerleader, like you know, get helping them to, you know, keep going when things get tough and you know, really motivating them to um to keep climbing. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. I mean, I think this there's, as I say, there's an awful lot in the sort of zeitgeist, I suppose, at the moment about psychological safety and uh, sort of high challenge, low threat, and things like that. And mm. we talk about that for for our, our young people, don't we? I think it can be easy to to neglect it, perhaps, in our teachers, but I think it's vitally important. Um, I wonder if you could say a bit more about what draws you then to the very large complexity of systems then, because you've talked a lot about the the work that you do with individuals. Let's, let's really zoom out and get up on the balcony and look at the people on the dance floor. What draws you to that, that complexity? Yeah, I, I suppose it's a bit, like um, I was talking about earlier around sort of constantly sort of either growing the job that you were doing or just, you know, taking on being, once you've mastered something, being able to, you know, continue to, to, to grow. So I think the complexity of our, of, of our school system is really fascinating. You know, like we've got all different types of schools. I listed like the ones I'd worked in earlier, you know, from different, different phases with maybe some with like, you know, selection or non-selection, some with mm. religious, you know, a religious element, some with, with, you know, not, none of that, some with disadvantage, like being really clear and, you know, um, part of that demographic, whereas others are more, much more privileged. You know, we've got a real complex system. And actually I, in the, um, the research, my, um, my supervisor for my doctoral study, he, um, I, I referenced um, VUCA, which lots of the, um, I'm sure lots of your listeners will have heard of. Um, VUCA is, is an acronym, V-U-C-A, um, which is a military acronym. Um, I think, you know, it, it comes from the military where, you know, imagine if you were just sort of dropped in sort of, you know, let's come think of some, uh, you know, something like, you know, Basra from like, you know, you know years ago, Iraq or somewhere, um, something in within living memory. You're dropped into that situation and the co the context in which you find yourself is volatile, uncertain, ambiguous and complex. It's a VUCA complex. It's a VUCA world. And you have to be able to work within that within that complexity. Um, but there are loads of different acronyms which uh, which have emerged in the research, which um, relate to almost exactly the same thing. There's a, a, a few that I learned recently. One was called one's called Tuna, which I've never heard of. Turbulent, uncertain, novel, and ambiguous. Um, I think Barney is another one. Brittle, anxious, nonlinear, and incomprehensible. Anyway, in the, in the research, <laughs> there are, there are all of these alphabet of, soup there. <laughs> Absolutely. And what, what's happening is all over the world, not just in education, but in different sectors, the world is being described in these in these terms of where cause and effect is not linear, where you can't just neatly say, oh, well, I did this intervention and it had this outcome mm -hmm. or, you know, where I, you know, I, I quite neatly decided to improve this area of school life. I performed these actions and then this happened. You know, like we, we can't talk like that. And because, because we know that in actual fact, that's not, that's not what reality is. More than that is that we've got completely colliding perspectives. And that's another design feature actually of development is colliding perspectives around people seeing the world completely like from different vantage points, different viewpoints, different mm. perspectives, and they aren't always in harmony. You know, we've got, 
you know, different um, different people seeing the world through their own lenses, through their own stories and experiences, and really finding sort of certain decisions, certain things difficult. So I suppose what draws me to all of that is the fact that um, it is complex, and there's a there's <laughs> there's a framework that I have in my trust around leadership, and we try to one of the things in it says we need to try and find joy in complexity because what we end up what ends up happening just in leadership in general is the more leadership you take on all those jobs that I've done from middle leadership to senior leadership to being a head teacher to now an executive head teacher you know all of the jobs effectively you end up just taking on more complex problems or, or the problems that other people can't solve or haven't got an easy solution to and you sort of have to find to, you know, you keep stretching me to con con constantly find a way forward in in really difficult and challenging circumstances and often novel situations. I think, you know, in schools these days, that's what keeps the job interesting. You know, it's we were always encountering things that we've we've never seen before, um, the good and the bad, and it is also incredibly interesting. And I actually don't know how other people go to to work and go and sit at the same desk in front of the same computer with perhaps the same, you know, open plan floor with colleagues and do the same job every day. Yeah, I don't know, making profit for other people. I actually don't understand how people, how, how you have purpose and do that every day. I, mm. what I want is to go into work and take on this challenging, complex thing of we're going to try and educate the next generation of people for a world that, is you know really volatile really uncertain really complex and really ambiguous and yet we're going to do it with all of the stuff that we know about all the stuff that humans have learned over time and and you know grown in terms of knowledge and skill i'm going to try and pass that on to them and try and deal with some of the present challenges that they're facing as well and so with an eye to the future of like what might be happening you know sort of ai and all that sort of stuff i yeah. think that's a massively engaging motivational sort of um vision for any teacher or leader and yet um it can also feel daunting and the the way that i rationalize that is to say again like, i'm not going to do that alone i you know i can't teach them everything that they need to learn i've got loads of fantastic colleagues who can though and i can't solve every problem that comes but i do have a great team of people who can see things that i can't see or ask questions that i don't ask and yeah, then yeah. and then bring their strengths to different situations so that's why i think that collaboration that collegiality that that not ever doing it alone is i think the most important thing yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree with you, and I I think that we do need to sort of be be ready to be bold and to to bounce ideas about. I think it's one of these things that drives my husband crazy because he says, "Right, we've got this problem," and I go, "What if we do this? What if we do that?" And he's like, "Those are <laughs> insane situations." I, but it's, I think it's just something about my nature. I just have to articulate them all, and then it, it, I feel like I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. But I don't mind. Mm. Whereas I think other people like to have it clear before they articulate it. <laughs> so well, yeah. Uh, well, this is this is a classic extrovert. I refer to extroversion, but it's a classic extroversion um, trait that we show our the inner workings of our thinking as well as as well as the outcome. So, you know, we, I'm going to tell you all of the bits of the thinking that, and, and tell you where I get to. Whereas I think introverts classically tend to want to hide the, the process of the thinking and then say, here's the shiny product at the end. I've done the thinking, yeah. here's what I want you, you know. Um, yeah. and, and I completely understand that too. No, that, both that's are, really both are valuable. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, we do need all, all kinds of all kinds of contributions and all kinds of uh, perspectives, don't we? Um, mm. I'm going to open it up if you don't mind. I don't know if there's anybody uh, who's listening who'd like to to call in, perhaps, and ask a question or to give their perspective. I know we've got um, a couple of people in the studio. If you would like to dial in um, uh, and ask a, a question about any of the things we've been discussing, please do. Uh, feel free or pop a pop a message in the chat um, if you if you want to do that. Um, and this is a bit where I have to give my thinking time to see if anybody will do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Be no, this is, yeah, go on, fear the fear, feel the fear. Yeah. Um, so while we're waiting to see if anybody does want to call in, um, I just wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about your your sort of views on on education in the uk at the moment i think we're we're at a bit of a 
hopefully a turning point for the better. But what's your what's your sort of finger in the wind kind of prediction? Ooh, that's a big question. And obviously, <laughs> ed education, where's it going? What's going to happen? Well, I mean, the past is a pretty good predictor for the future um, in terms of lots of things. And I do think we are, you're right, we are at a turning point for lots of for lots of different reasons. And I don't know if what you're thinking about that turning point might be, but I mean, there are lots of things, you know, we're coming out of the sort of in a post-COVID world where that you know it feels like there's a there's a new normal that didn't exist pre 2020 um and we are dealing in with schools in, in a completely different way um but also that's that's lots of that is negative but we i think there are real strengths and we need to look at the strengths and find the positives too um i think um obviously we've got techno a technological sort of revolution that is happening around us which is going to change things um, to a degree, but the extent to which it changes things, I probably don't feel qualified enough or expert enough to be able to say, but feel that there's there's an optimism there as well around sort of, you know, interesting, um, you know, interesting avenues for teaching and learning and for, you know, trying to to do what I was saying earlier, try and get the sort of, you know, the, the, the contents of what we've learned as human beings into the minds of the next generation. <laughs> I think, you know, you know, AI and tech and, and various things will help us with that. But I also was at the Festival of Education on Friday um, last week um, at Wellington College and mm. I, heard, I had the real privilege of listening to Daisy Christodoulou, who is a former uh, colleague of mine um, from the same multi-academy trust uh, from yet many years ago. And, um, she was talking about AI and she was talking about AI and assessment in particular and, you know, really sort of getting us to think really hard about sort of how it's going to work. And and one of the things that AI does really well, of course, is, you know, if we think about things like ChatGTP, et cetera, it's really efficient. It's really fast. But in learning and in development, we don't always just want efficiency. And mm -hmm. I thought I, I thought that was a really insightful point because, you know, she, she made the, you know, she made a different parallels but you know like we have technology like cars that can go pretty fast but it doesn't stop people from going for runs you know we still go out for a run or go out for a walk yet even though we have the technology that allows us to be faster and it's not it's it's not about just being efficient it's actually about human flourishing is what she said and yeah. that really that really resonated with me because yes we're at a turning point technologically but we also want humans to flourish and so I think human, well, in my school and in my trust, we talk a lot about thriving and mm. the idea that, again, thriving, I think, is linked to that idea of struggle and, and challenge and at the same time, you know, coming out stronger. And that idea about how do we help children to thrive in their lives today? Because I'm really, really, something that is a bit of a bugbear of mine is that we're constantly telling young people, oh, well, when you're an or when you've got your GCSEs or once you've got your A-levels or once you're at university or once you've finished your degree, once you've got a job, you know, actually they can thrive and do things today, like right now as human beings. Um, yeah. And so my um, my thinking is how do we help them to, to thrive and live really great lives? And what does a really great life comprise of? And that's the, the, that's the challenge of like deciding. And that's where leadership comes in. We have to be able to imagine that better future. We have to imagine what does a really great life have in it? And how do we then, again, break that down into its component parts and try and teach those things? And of course, you know, like learning all the stuff that we have to learn, like that we teach kids, you know, from algebra to, I don't know, the points of a compass to the inner workings of the human body to whatever we're teaching them. Um, you know, those things are really important to pass on to the next generation. But so are things that we possibly haven't always privileged in schools, like how to have good mental health, how to how to you know practice gratitude, how to um, serve others, how to lead. You know, these are skills. These are uh, things that I I personally think are incredibly important for living a good life. And some of them are more important than algebra. Some of them are genuinely yeah. gonna gonna serve you better. And actually if they haven't learned algebra but they have learned how to be a really great friend, then actually that might be more important. And that that, that might be a controversial view. But I you know, I'd be happy having taught students how to be a really great person. 
um, yeah. even if they haven't quite mastered, you know, the subjunctive in my subject, you know. Um, it's so it's so interesting because as, as you're speaking, I'm just, and this is the, the kind of the philosophy and ethics geek in me, I'm just thinking this is Aristotle, this is kind of eudaimonia, this is human mm. flourishing and, and virtue and, you know, striving to do better tomorrow and and develop into the kind of person that you would admire, uh, you know, and, and I think it's, I think that's something perhaps that it would be good socially and morally and academically for, for schools to really reflect upon. Um, you know, I do think that we, we've lost a little by being too narrow. Because um, I, I totally agree with the, the breadth of the human character being such an important thing. Well, so there's a real parallel in leadership development, actually, and in my research, which is really fascinating, because fundamentally, um, we, you know, we, we all know in education, the discourse in education, certainly in England and in certain places around the world, has become around that sort of core knowledge, that essential knowledge, um, which we talk about in terms of, if you look at the Ofsted framework and talk about mm -hmm. essential knowledge, if you, uh, it, you know, we, we know it has its roots in sort of Hirsch and Hirschian ideas about giving children the, the knowledge that they need to be able to, and he, he, you know, he did think that it was about them thriving in a particular society, and so they needed that cultural capital to be able yes. to, to, to thrive but I think they also need other things <laughs> like they yeah. do need the essential knowledge but leaders also so we, what we see in lead in the it's say for example the national professional qualifications MPQs we see that they also have also been in, uh, completely immersed in that essential knowledge discourse yes so um you know the the, the 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 DfE when they published the new the new MPQs they in their in their sort of preamble they say this is the essential knowledge leaders need to be successful in schools and you know that when you read that knowledge it's a it's a list of knowledge literally like a, almost like a knowledge organizer yeah, it, yeah. Says le leaders need to learn that and learn how to i'm getting into my this is my <laughs> but but sort of you know so that 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 codification of knowledge is absolutely you know i think that, yeah of course you need to know those things you need to learn that and you need to learn how to absolutely but if you don't feel like a leader, then that's therefore you're never going to do that. You're not going to engage with that content because you don't feel like it. If you don't have the yeah. ske schema that helps you to take on challenge, um, or you don't have the the belief that if you try and fail, that's okay, then you might not actually want to do the you know that, that either that qualification or indeed take on the challenge that actually that qualification is supposed to lead you to be able to. Um, to, to, to take on in real schools and in practice. So I do think there's other parts of the job that we need, other parts of the development that we need to be doing. And for me, yeah. that's all around exactly that, around core, it's about values, it's about beliefs. Um, it's about really much deeper um, cognitive schema um, around sort of who we are as people, identity, as well as, um, as well as, um, the, the the actual technical knowledge of how how you, how you lead a school so i that's, all that's, of my leadership sorry go on no no i was just gonna say it's so brilliant and i'm so sorry mark because we are really running out of time now but <laughs> i could talk to you all evening and i've got to say perhaps um before before we get taken off the air um maybe you'll come back again and we can talk a bit more about this kind of philosophical issue because i think it's such an important one mm. um so so would you be up for that perhaps yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that I have a few coffees that day and make it keep, myself, <laughs> keep myself awake for you, Catherine. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. I'd love to come back. I am so sorry to cut you off, but um, it is we are about a minute and a half from the end. Um, so I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on. This is all going to be released as a podcast and uh, it's going to be available. So please do share it. And uh, if you've been listening live, share it. I know that uh, Paul has left a message there to say um, that he's sort of joined the chat and it sounds like a really lively discussion so thank you Paul I know that you call in quite often so thank you for your message this evening um, I'm going to just play our final adverts before I uh, I sign us off so once again thank you so much uh, thank you so much Mark for your time this evening and uh, we'll be back in touch to to get back into this fascinating discussion thank you <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure thank you thank you very much it's time for a fresh start to language learning.
Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. So that brings us to the end of today's Late Late Show. I've been Catherine Taylor and many thanks again to our special guest, Mark Pritchard, who's uh, opened up a fascinating discussion, which I hope to carry on with um, at some point in the future, because it's really worthwhile having, I think. Remember, there are teachers uh, talk radio shows all week. Join me again fortnightly at the same time. Bye bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.